Welcome to Gulf War, the battle after the war. I had a lot of questions after my post on Friday um, in reference to my success with reaching 100% IU. People wanting to know what I did to get to that point. So I, I had intentions of doing a very different podcast today. So in light of the amount of questions that I got, I figured, well, maybe I'll I'll do this and postpone the the other cast. Uh, and I'm sitting outside today, so you're probably going to hear a lot of nature in the background, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think we should all get out. But anyway, so I started my process a couple of times. And each time I started it on my own, I failed. And it was largely due to my lack of memory and my symptoms and then the, the daily stresses and just everything combined. So I had a hard time getting through it. I would go to VSO and, and get a claim started and then I would forget things and they would ask me to provide documentation or um, Asked me if I was going to my appointments, or just all, all the little things that you should be doing in order to help build your case. Especially in a situation like mine, which is probably about 80% of you out there. I didn't realize that I was ill until long after I was out. When I got out, I completely disconnected from the military. I didn't think to stay connected medically to see if there were anything, if there was anything I needed to worry about or any health issues that needed to be addressed. It never entered my mind. So <clears throat> I filed the first time. I think I was, gosh, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> that's that memory thing. I'm kind of doing this off the cuff. I'm not, I didn't, uh, plan for this. I didn't do any pre-writing or pre-recording. I think I was about 45 when I actually realized what was going on thanks to some help with help from a friend. When I got into the VA system I started talking to doctors and uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this history portion because there's a bunch of that already in the beginning of my podcast history. But I tried talking to doctors and nobody knew what I was talking about when I mentioned Gulf War Syndrome. And it wasn't until I discovered that West Palm Beach actually had a Gulf War illness study clinic that I started to gain some momentum in my case. And at the time, I wasn't really interested in building a case. I didn't know anything about that. I just knew I was sick and I didn't know how to fix it. And I was going to doctors out in the civilian world and they had no idea what was going on with me. So it was interesting to actually go in and sit down and talk to somebody who had been running this clinic for I don't know how long. And she explained to me about the process of symptoms and, and discovering them. So we went through, I think it was almost two and a half days worth of questioning and testing. And, and once that was done, we were able to identify a lot of the things that were going on with me. So that was kind of important. So moving forward, keeping everything documented, making sure that everything that I was told was in my record correctly, because there was a lot of things that, um, through counseling even, that I had said that were a little skewed. Because they only have so much time to deal with you, they, I think, try to shortcut so that there's not a whole lot of writing in between each patient. The only thing I can glean from what I've read 
because when I look through my record, I see where I've said something to them, and I know I said it in great detail, but there's like maybe three or four words to describe what I told them. And sometimes that amounts to a lesser claim because they put they end up putting in a putting in my complaint under a different code. And it's simply because they are probably going off their notes at the end of the day, I assume. And what I thought was everything that I was saying was getting entered into my record. And that's totally not the case. Since they only have a limited amount of time to spend with you, they spend even less time entering stuff into your record. So it's important that you look, your, look over your record. You can go to My Healthy Vet and click on the... Uh, button to download your record and read it or you can look at it online but that's definitely something that you have to keep track of and stay on top of because there are diagnoses that will change based on what they enter into your record so watch very closely so my my journey to this point was rough. It wasn't until I realized that my memory was sabotaging everything I was doing that I decided it was time to get an attorney. I needed some, somebody to help me that could navigate this and make sure that my case was heard and handled the way it should have been. The issues that I had with the VSO was that you only get to see them a certain amount of time, and at least here in Florida. And then there's the American Legion that will help you, but they're only at one location one day a week. And then they're at a, another location usually an hour or two away for one day a week. So it's difficult to get appointments with them to get help and then get continued help. So I was losing track of that, and that made, um, made things more difficult for me. So that's why I opted to use an attorney. The attorney, by the time she was done, had collected well over 3,000 pages of my medical record, stuff I didn't even know existed. So I was set up for failure to begin with because I had no, I didn't have access to all that stuff, or at least I didn't know I had access to all that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of things that you might be missing. I mean, she collected information from my private doctors that I haven't seen in 15 years. But because I went to them, you know, when I got out of the military, there was a record there. And I didn't think to look back that far. So it makes a huge difference to get somebody who knows what they're doing and is willing to do the work for you. And the nice thing about it is some of these attorneys will do this work just for 20% of your back pay. And if you, if you, if you do lose, nothing comes out of your pocket. And that's the way it should be. Look, read your contract if you do intend to use an attorney before you sign it and make sure that that's all in there. Because God forbid something should happen and you do lose your case with the, even with the attorney, you don't want to end up having to owe thousands of dollars that you don't have, obviously, because we, we wouldn't be fighting this. We we're trying to survive. So do, do be careful with that, but I used Morgan & Morgan. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but too late I did. <laughs> and they did a fantastic job for me uh, on the VA side. I'm still fighting the Social Security side, but now that I'm actually 
at 100%. I really don't care as much about them as I do the, the VA side. The uh, VA side I filed much earlier, so it's going to allow me to pay off some bills which are badly needed. I've been so deep in debt since I lost my job. I haven't been able to do anything. So it'll be a, a breath of fresh air to be able to get all this stuff done. The stress is ridiculous. I'm just so glad that it's that this portion is over. I uh, I sat down uh, Friday when I cut the the letter in the mail. And just reading through it, you know the the part where they tell you they finally recognize that you're not unemployable. I'm sorry that you are unemployable, and that you are at a hundred percent is a stress relief in itself. It just means that they finally recognize that there's something going on and they're obviously not uh, doing anything to to heal what's going on in my body or any of us for that matter. It just feels like and and it's the same way in in the civilian world too but it, it feels like they just if they can't throw a medication at it then there's nothing wrong and that's kind of the the way the medical field looks at things which is why i push the studies because the the doctors that are doing the studies they don't look at it that way and they try to answer your questions and they at least they understand and they listen to what you're saying so yeah, definitely get into the studies but anyway I'm getting off track here the um, the process that I went through once I got the attorney was much easier unfortunately by the time I got the attorney I was so stressed out that my symptoms were far worse than they had been because of the amount of stress I put myself under due to the constant starting over you know I was I was entering my claims and then they were getting denied and of course at the time I was still working full-time I was just feeling really bad and I was pushing through it you know a typical soldier so once um, once the attorney got involved things got a little more organized I was able to collect information that they needed. I was able to email the things that they needed to them in a, in a timely fashion, you know. So it made a difference. It organized me quite a bit where I was not organized at all. So once, um, once they started that process, it was pretty much out of my hands. I was just sitting around waiting, which in itself is stressful because you don't know what's going on. So I would, I would email my attorney from time to time and they would give me an update, which was great. The communication was, was okay, but you know, under the circumstances with all the VA cases, I'm sure that are out there and, and they're working hard to get us what we ask for. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't as bad as it could have been, I guess. But the, the first round of information that I provided was all my doctors that I had seen that I could remember, the visits that I was being scheduled for because I had to keep them informed of my progress, obviously as they were filing my case. I believe probably the first year of my case was basically them just sitting on it, waiting to see if I was going to get worse, which I did. So all of that showed in my medical record and that built up to part of that over 3,000 pages in my medical record. So the more that you can get documented, the easier it will be I hear so many people taking anywhere from 8 to 12 years. Well, that 8 to 12 years 
is built up based on your appointments. So if you're missing appointments, if you're canceling appointments, if you're not talking to your doctors and, and giving them the information they need to build your record for you, then even an attorney is not going to be able to help you because the information is not there. You got to show a paper trail. So for those of you listening that are probably still in or, or close to getting out and you're having health issues, make sure it's documented. Make sure that you go to the doctor. I know a lot of people are afraid of doctors, but you know, if you want to be able to file and put monetary value on your exposures, you need to have a paper trail. I can't stress that enough. It's so, so important to have a paper trail. If you don't build that, you won't have a case. So make sure that everything that you feel, everything that you encounter, every illness that you get, you go to the doctor for, especially if you're in. It's free medical. Go get it taken care of. God forbid something should pop up as a result of it years later. They're still doing all kinds of things experimentation-wise on, on soldiers in the military. I just recently posted one, so go listen to that. You'll, you'll see. It's, it's true. I, mean, I can remember, I go, through, I go through the points on my arms where I got the shots. I can't tell you what each one was. I don't remember anymore. But I can tell you I got two in my right arm, two in my left arm. I think I got a vaccine in my wrist, my right wrist. And then I remember one in my right butt cheek. And I don't remember which ones were which, but that's, that's all I can remember. And that doesn't help anybody. That's just, okay, so he got some shots. So it's important that you document. It's important that you talk to people, ask questions. If you're still active military and you're getting vaccines, what is it? What's in it? What are the side effects? And document it. Take the time. If you don't take the time, if you let them rush you through, they will. The more they can rush you through, the less they have to be accountable for. So that's important. So that was what I was lacking when I first started. I was lacking a lot of information because I got out of the medical system, or I got out of the VA system on the medical side. I completely disconnected, so there was no paper trail. So I spent time building a paper trail. I didn't miss any appointments. I started using my phone as my brain because I was forgetting everything. There were days that I would leave work and I would have to sit on my bike and think about how to get home. You just got to make sure that that stuff's documented. So I started using my phone for everything. I've sent my calendar to my attorney so she knows that I've got appointments scheduled and what appointments I'm going to and whether or not they were rescheduled or canceled by the VA because I didn't reschedule or cancel any of them. And that was important. I didn't want the VA at any point to think that, oh, he's doing better so he's canceling his appointments. Don't give them the ability or opportunity to screw you. So I, I did that. I also made sure that when I scheduled my appointments, I had all the detail in my calendar because I realized when it came time to go to the appointment, I would walk up to the appointment window and the lady would say, okay, what are you here for? And I would look at her with a blank face. I'm like, um, I don't know. I scheduled an appointment for here and I don't remember what it was for. Or the doctor scheduled me for a specialty appointment and I don't remember what it was for. And, and that leads into the other thing is when you go to your primary care doctor, when you get started in this process, he is not going to 
have all the answers. He's going to schedule you for MRIs. He's going to send you to mental health. He's going to send you to the um, the neuro neuropsych or, or any of those things to to find out what's going on with you. He's not going to have all the answers. So those appointments are just as important, if not more important, than any of your other little appointments that you may have. Those are the ones that help build a solid paper trail as to what's going on with you and what can be diagnosed and what's undiagnosed. The dermatologist, you know, all, the, all these people that you have to go see to address the issues that you have. We came back with some pretty strange stuff, so that's important. And that's pretty much what I did. I, I stuck to it. I didn't miss any of my appointments. And I made sure that every time I went, I had a list of my ailments. Because every time I go to my primary care doctor, just about every one, I've had three in the past four years since I've been in, uh, on the west coast of Florida. And I've also had I don't know, four or five different counselors since I've been here because they keep disappearing. They either move to another location, retire, or just, I don't know what they're doing, but I've been through more counselors than I've been through primary care doctors. But it's important. The documentation is important, and you speaking to your doctors is important. I read yesterday somebody was afraid to tell their doctor about uh, suicidal tendencies. What's going to happen if I tell them this? Are they going to arrest me? Are they going to put me in the hospital? Are they going to Baker Act me? Well, you know what? If you're having those tendencies, then look at the medication you're taking. Start reading the side effects on them. I've done podcasts on, podcasts on this in the past. Know what you're taking. Know about what you're taking. and that'll help you understand what you're feeling. If you're taking antidepressants and you're having suicidal thoughts, you know that's not an uncommon thing. It might be time to change medication. So look at those things and definitely be in contact with your primary care doctor. Talk to them, talk to your nurse. Your nurses are probably your, your best advocates because they, they, uh, they tend to be a little bit more understanding and nice at least in my experience and if you're patient and nice and, and try to provide a smile back you can generally get some answers that you normally wouldn't get if you walked in the way we normally do so I, I would I would try the niceness approach for a little while and see how that goes it worked pretty well for me I was able to glean quite a bit just from asking questions and watching and sitting and listening. The other thing that made this a lot easier was the attorney that I used. They were very knowledgeable in, in veteran disabilities and the Gulf War in particular, which was kind of a breath of fresh air. It's, it's nice to talk to somebody who actually knows and understands what this in, invisible illness does to us and is willing to be patient and work with you. The thought that, uh, I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll come back to that thought. It might, it might be come back, that was a fleeting thought. Um, I think what I, what I can take away from this experience the most is being detail-oriented is what's going to help you win this case. And that's really, really hard to do when you have short-term memory issues and you can't remember to f brush your teeth in the morning or, you know, just just the minuscule little things that you would normally do on a daily basis before you got into the military. Everything changes. So that's why I said early on in other podcasts, my success I based on 
being able to wake up in the morning and make my bed. And if I screw everything else up throughout the day, I can sit down on the couch and look back and say to myself, you know what, today wasn't so bad because I was able to make my bed. So that's kind of how I look at my day. And then anything else that I do above and beyond that, that's a success, that's a bonus for me. That's how I look at it. And I've explained that to several counselors and several psychiatrists and psychologists, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's a nice way to look at things. And, well, that's how I get through life. <laughs> so if you're, if you're still struggling or having issues trying to figure things out, find that one thing that is going to allow you to sit down at the end of the day and say, ah, I did that. So going through, going through my court case on the VA side, I did one general filing and they denied that. And that's because I was still working. I was trying to stay proactive, forgetting that I live and work under a reactive government. So there's no way to be proactive. And I thought to myself, God, by the time they get around to helping me, I'm going to be destitute or homeless. So I was able to get another filing going and I got myself to 20% uh, to start. I think it was 20% or 25%. I can't remember now. It's been so long. But once I hit that, I was still working. And that was when I realized that there was something there. They were recognizing that there was a disability there. And I wasn't just a crazy one thinking, oh God, what's going on with me? So that was my, I guess, kind of redemption at that point. So I left it alone for, I don't know, probably two years. I think I, re I started back into the system at, uh, I don't know, I must have been 47, I think. And that was when things started to get worse. I was actually having more anxiety attacks. My nightmares were worse. Just all, all around everything was getting worse. I was in the ER a lot. Um, I was missing work a lot. So it was, it, was, it was rough. And it wasn't until I decided to take a trip up to visit my mom once. I was riding at the time and I had lived in I think I was living in Broward I was I was living in Broward at the time and Broward's like a 30-40 minute drive from from there to West Palm Beach I had made it all the way up to West Palm Beach and by the time I had gotten there I had to pull over because I had such a bad anxiety attack I could not function I started losing use of my hands I had issues with uh, emotions and just it was a real mess and it took me about 20 minutes to gain control of myself and realize you know this there's nothing going on here you're fine and then I was able to get back on the road and go but at that point I realized I'm getting worse something's wrong so that was when I started talking to a, uh, a counselor pretty much on a weekly basis and I explained to him what happened and what's going on and stuff. And the first thing he told me was, you know, a lot of these symptoms that you're experiencing are probably from your Gulf War illness. And he said, you, you need to stay in connection with the medical section and mental health and the VA, not just me, because he was uh, just a, a volunteer counselor outside. I forget what you call it. I have to look it up and post that later unless somebody recognizes it and uh, can add to this but anyway I spoke with him for months and he helped me collect my thoughts and suggested at a certain point he said, you know there are attorneys out there that will handle cases like yours he said but as long as you're working you're never going to reach 100%. And at the time, I said, you know, I'm really not interested in getting 
more money from the government, I said, I'm interested in, in a cure. I'm interested in feeling better. I'm not, I'm not used to not being able to do things myself. And he said, yeah, I understand that. He said, but unfortunately, you're going to get worse and there is no cure for what you have. And you're going to have to eventually accept the fact that there are things that you're never going to be able to do again. And the only way to do that is to discuss it, to help create the realization, and find things to replace it. So, for instance, I, I love to jog, I love to run. I can still walk, it's painful, but I can still walk, so I do that. And that has to be enough. And it's taken me a long time, but it's to a point now where I can't fast walk anymore, but I can, I can do a, a slow-paced walk, and I'll look at my phone, or I'll listen to an audiobook, or read something and walk, or just anything to keep my mind busy while I'm, while I'm walking. So there's, there's things that you can do, anyway, and that's, that's the point to that. Part of that, though, was building the paper trail, and that was one of the things that he was stressing, is don't miss your appointments, talk to the doctors, and make a list of all of your ailments, all of your issues, everything that you have, no matter how small it is. Either put it in your phone or put it on a piece of paper, but put it somewhere where you'll re remember it, or on something that's always with you. That's why I use my phone. I use my phone for everything. Once you do that, you take it into your primary care doctor. Even though you only get an hour in the first visit, 15 minutes after, you hand them your list and you say, look, this is everything I'm feeling. This is everything I'm encountering. I need to tackle these. What do we do? And he's going to look at your list and he's probably going to be overwhelmed because we have a lot of crap wrong with us. But it saves time in diagnosing issues or being not being able to diagnose because there's there are just some things like those items in the presumptives that are not diagnosable there's they don't know why or they might know what it is and don't know why it happened or don't they know what it is uh, who knows <laughs> but they become presumptives that's how we have a presumptive list it's presumed that you have these so once you have that list in there, they can start going through it and say, okay, these two or these three or these four particular issues that you're having are connected. And then they can figure out how they're connected. So you might knock out a chunk just in your first visit and at least getting them addressed. Because I wasn't getting anything addressed. I was going and talking to people and since I couldn't remember stuff, or it wasn't happening at the moment, like the, the muscle spasms, the twitches, the, the vesticular twitches, the rashes, all these things that happen randomly, they wouldn't happen while I was sitting there at the doctor's office. So I wouldn't remember I had them. So I wouldn't complain about them. And that's a problem because those could be connected to something else, a, a vitamin deficiency or not getting enough food in a particular food category or not drinking enough water. They don't know to go in that direction if you don't tell them what you have. And to boot, if there's more than one, it kind of lead, kind of lends to getting a better diagnosis because there are some illnesses that have a string of symptoms and if you only have two of the nine symptoms that that illness is characterized or known for having, you might not get the diagnosis you're looking for. So that's very important. So in doing that, that's how I built my case. All the paperwork was there. I just needed somebody who knew what they were doing, knew their way around the VA system to make things happen for me. At no point did my attorney ever tell me you have to quit in order to get 100%. So I don't want anybody to think that. And any attorney that tells you you need to quit your job, I, I, would question the, I would question their ethical methods. 
you need to work as long as you can. And I'm not saying, you know, bust your butt until you're falling over on your face like I was. But, you know, put your time in because that makes a difference on your Social Security side if you want to, you know, file for Social Security. That and it just, in general, sucks to be retired so early. I find things to do. I keep myself busy and, and what, I, what I can still do. But it's, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. So if you can, if you can muscle through with, without too much grief and pain and too much stress, then I say stick with it. I mean, if you have to drop back to a, a part-time job or part-time at your work or whatever, I would, I would recommend it. You don't want to be at a point where you're sitting on the couch at home eight hours a day and then just getting up and going to bed. You want to get out. You want to do things. It's, it's distressing otherwise. You, you can't sit in a, a box. You'll get depressed. And depression is the worst. Depression leads to so many other problems and it creates so many other problems. It's just not worth it. So if you can stay working, stay working and it doesn't mean don't file because you can still get, I think I was 70% and still working. So you can, you can do it. But you know, once you hit that point where you just feel like, oh my gosh, I, I can't. Or you know, if the chronic fatigue gets to be too much or whatever, whatever it is that's ailing you. If it gets to be too much and it's part of the Gulf War illness issues or symptoms or presumptives, then it's time to consider filing. If you have somebody to sit down and talk to about it, sit down and talk to them about it. In other words, a significant other, a family member, whatever. Say, look, you know, this is how I feel. This is what's going on. What do you think? And get an outside opinion. My outside opinion was an attorney. I told him what was going on. I said, look, this is where I'm at. And they're not going to tell you quit your job, but they're going to tell you, well, go to the doctor and see what they say and keep us in the loop. And that's what I did. So when I finally hit a point where I knew it was affecting my work, I was keen and sharp enough to notice that I was having issues before my boss noticed. So I wanted to take care of it before it got to a point where they were going to fire me. My, my ethical mind is super strong. Um, just the way I was brought up. So I, I thought, well, I'm going to try some different things because I, w I worked in the tech world, the tech world to make my job a little easier and see how that works. Well, I spent a week trying my new ideas and they actually caused me more stress and didn't help at all. So I put myself in a bad situation because of that. But I tried, you know, I had to, I had to do something. I didn't want to quit. I was in the job that I loved a career that I just over the over the moon about. I was helping millions of people with what I was doing, veterans included. It was just you don't get any better than that. Every time I talked to somebody, it was a it was a good conversation. It was never a bad conversation. It was always exciting. It was always something new. It was always something to learn. But that was where I noticed that I was having issues. The Towards the end, I was having a hard time even with simple tasks, things that I had been doing for years. I was forgetting. I was found myself Googling or YouTubing or going back to notes and I couldn't do the basics in my own job. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to let them know what's going on. I'm going to give my notice and get a promise from them that if I figure this out and I get better that they'll take me back and of course they said they'd be happy to take me back well unfortunately that was almost four years ago and I've come to the realization that there is no cure for what we have and I'm making the best of what's 
going on in my life and I wake up every morning, try to smile and greet the day with a, a positive attitude. And Friday morning when the mail came, I think that was probably the biggest smile I've had since I started. Because now, now I can actually go outside the VA. I can afford to do things. I can go to the dentist. <laughs> I can go, I can go to a, a homeopathic doctor and get some blood tests done and see what's running in my body that I can shut down to possibly make me feel better or at least give me a better, um, better life. Because there's so many things that, that are active in our bodies from when we were over there that medication is not going to get rid of. You know, the Epstein-Barr, there's just all kinds of little things that run rampant in your body that cause other things. So it's, it's important to know those things. And the VA doesn't test for those. You know, the VA, when they do a, a thyroid test, they do the basics. They don't do a full panel. So these are things that if you don't know or you don't ask, it won't get done. But that's, that's my case in a nutshell. I did, I did my first filing on my own. I did my, my first appeal on my own. And I did my second appeal on my own. Um, I think there was a third. I did. I did a third appeal when I moved to the West Coast because the VA tried to, at the, I think it was the second appeal, it was, the second appeal, when I went, I was trying to go from 40%, I think, to, it was, I was trying to go from 40% to 70%, and when I went to that compensation and pension appointment, the doctors both said, oh, he's 100% healed. So when I left there, of course, mind you, I, I walked in on a cane, walked out on a cane. When I left there, I had no idea what they had put in. You know, they don't tell you. And then I get a letter stating that I had 60 days to prove that I was still ill. And if I didn't, they were going to stop my benefits. So, of course, I panicked because uh, at that point I, I was in need of the money that they were sending me and I was also in need of the medical care because I was a mess. I was not working. So I did that appeal. I sent the information in that they requested within the time frame that they gave me and I received another letter from the VA. Mr. Chrisman, you sent the information in too soon. Please wait until we request that information from you and then you can send it in. So I went back to the first letter that they sent me and I emailed the person and I said, here's a screenshot of what you sent me previously. Please see attached of which I got a response apologizing, saying, well, wait until we request the information and then send it to us. I thought it was interesting. So why they gave me a 60-day barrier to get my stuff over to them, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to understand that. But anyway, I did that. And when I started my third appeal, because they said, well, you're you're going to have a, a court appointment most likely. And I said, great, I'll have everything ready to go when you say so. So I got yet another letter in the mail with my court date in Clearwater. And by this time I had already retained my attorney. I was probably a month into that retention and I emailed my attorney and I said, look, I forgot to tell you because I forgot to tell her about that. I said, I started this appeal, and I explained to her everything I just told you. And she said, well, I'll tell you what. She said, 
I will make a phone call and then I will call you back in 10 minutes because you're not going to court. And I said, okay. I didn't question anything and she called me back within, within that 10 minute time frame and said, your court date has been canceled and handled. She said, you have nothing to worry about. There's not gonna be any change in your disability rating or your medical access. So I was relieved to hear that. I mean, I had, at the time, six different doctors stating that I was nowhere near 100% cured. If anything, I was getting worse. And there was a paper trail to prove it. So my attorney tapped into that and had access to all that stuff, and she squashed that court case pretty quick. So that, that was kind of nice. It's nice to have somebody on your side when, when you need it, because I was not organized enough to, to win that. So she did that for me. And then the last appeal was what my attorney had done. And that's the one that got me the decision that I got this past Friday. So end result is if you have memory issues like I do and probably 200,000 other veterans who came back from Gulf War, don't try to take on so much by yourself. There are time frames there that you have to meet. And if you don't meet them, you end up starting over. You forget things. It's just not worth it. The, the filing is quick. The attorney will probably take a year, the first year, to collect all of your information, read through your record, because face it, if, if you've been in for at least four years, you've got a medical record that's probably a thick book. So they need time to go through that, pick out what's necessary for them to build a case for you and move forward. So back pay on a year at whatever you're getting paid at is a big deal and 20% and of that, the way I look at it is the attorney did the work, they earned the money and at 100% I'm getting paid enough to live on. The, the back pay would be nice, but you know, at 100% at rating, the money you're making, if you save, you can make that back pay up in two or three years. So I don't really care. I'll make up that 20% over the next two or three years and I'm gonna use it to take a vacation. I'm gonna use it to go to a homeopath and, and get blood tests done. I'm gonna use it to de-stress myself, you know? So I'd say if you find yourself in my situation get help get somebody to do the footwork for you because it's worth it's worth the time and effort and the money for them to do it and if you lose you lose nothing comes out of your pocket that's why i said at the beginning of this cast make sure whoever you retain does not charge you if they lose and there's there's several different ones that charge but they only charge uh, well the only thing in common is they only charge if you win and they only charge the 20 to 25 percent that they're allowed to charge through your back pay and you get the rest mine my case was a total of about five years all said and done only three of that was with my attorney and that's the only thing that i regret i should have filed with an attorney five years ago instead of trying to do it all myself. I thought I could because I had a paralegal certificate and I had an analytical mind and I was good at researching, but it's just, you have to learn to accept your, your downfalls, your pitfalls, the things that you can no longer do. And it's frustrating, let me tell you. There people look at you and they're like, why can't you do this? Or why can't you do that? You look fine. The only thing that I can do is refer them to my Gulf War page, watch the videos that I've posted, listen to my podcast, listen to the symptoms that I discussed, 
Listen to the ones that I struggle with on a daily basis. If you're close enough, come visit me. Come see it for yourself. It's going to happen. My symptoms have gotten worse and I don't hide them anymore. For the most part. I do find myself occasionally when the tremors start, I, I pull my hands to my chest or I start playing with my hands to hide it. But I'm trying not to. I'm trying to allow myself to fully accept that what I have is what I have and while it may get worse, I am who I am. So if you can't accept me for who I am, stay away. <laughs> I, I managed to keep a smile on my face and I do my best to help my veterans. That's my goal. But anyway, that's, that's my story as far as filing and mistakes I made and the successes that I've had. I'm still fighting my social security case, but if I don't win this appeal, I don't know that I'll continue. I'm satisfied with the fact that the VA is helping me, however little or however much they intend to. I'm doing my best to get off the medications that they have me on. And I've done a, a fairly good job at that. I still have a lot to do, but I'm working on it. But anyway, that's it for this cast. I appreciate all the support from everybody who's been behind me all this time. Uh, all of you from my page. All of the people that I've met along the way and I hope to continue relationships with. I'm still here to help. You're welcome to tap into my knowledge. Always, always ask me questions. Sit down and talk. I'm game. If we don't talk to each other, then we don't make any progress, you know? So, I'm here if you need me. You know how to reach me through my page, at Gulf War Vets. It's the at sign, capital G, Gulf War, capital W, and illness. Or, I'm sorry, Vets. <laughs> you could probably search me through Gulf War Illness, but you'll get a bunch of other pages too. But I'm at Gulf War Vets. And, of course, you can get to me through my podcast go to uh, any podcast platform and type in Gulf War the battle after the war and it'll come up and as I've stated in previously I am currently listed in iHeart as well so if you're an iHeart fan you can find me there in the podcast section there is the ability to support my cast it helps me out as far as upgrades go so if you uh, click on support and donate, that would be awesome. Click on subscribe, that way every time I put out a new cast, you'll get an alert. I try to do that every Wednesday before noon. And um, I think that's it. Stay happy, stay healthy, support your local community, support your local veterans, and stay active. Those are my keys key points for today. Have a great rest of your week. Don't forget to give an elbow or a fist bump to a vet. <laughs>